This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, the very best comic book podcast for regular comic book fans. I'm your host, Mike Rappin, and joining me this week, a pair of anti-heroes who I somehow wronged, and now they're at my house. Oh, God, someone help me. Paul Jaceley. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and our very special guest this week, Ed Brubaker. Hey, thanks for having me. Very excited to talk to both of you about comic books. Um, this is a really cool episode. But before we get into things, I do want to remind people that next week's show is going to be live on Twitch. That's Sunday, December 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's going to be me and Danny and Brian. We're going to be talking about comic books. We're going to get a little wild. It's the last live show of the year. So come harass us. Come hang out with us. Come tell us what comic books you've been reading, all that stuff. It's going to be a really good time. I guess to get into things, uh, we have a very special guest, as I said. Um, Ed, you've worked on books like Killer Be Killed, Criminal, Reckless, Fatal, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Gotham Central, Immortal Iron Fist, The Fade Out, <laughs> Sleeper, X-Men Deadly Genesis, which we just talked about on Patreon very recently, Friday from Panel Syndicate. That's just what I grabbed really quick from your Wikipedia page, <laughs> but also from my own memory. Um, your latest book was Night Fever, and you have a new book coming out very soon. I guess before we get into asking comics about questions, and we'll talk a little bit more in the second half, could you tell folks a little bit at home about what your new book is and why they may want to read it yeah where the body was uh which comes out i think it's in comic stores in the second week of december and then early january for bookstore market um uh it's it's kind of it's really hard to explain which is always the the greatest thing about putting out a book um <laughs> it's it started out as like a really small murder mystery that all took place on one street. And then it kind of evolved as I was plotting it out into this really strange thing. That's almost like kind of a literary experiment crossed with like a fake true crime podcast or something, but in graphic mm -hmm. novel form. And, um, I really wanted to do a thing that kind of delved into several incidents that I either was part of or knew about in my past. Um, and to sort of also try to do a book that explored uh, love and passion and obsession uh, around, you know, crime and, and things like that. And, and uh, so I decided the way to do that was to, to have a bunch of people at different ages going through different aspects of that. Um, so it's really just this kind of sprawling suburban noir story, uh, but mm -hmm. really is secretly a love story <laughs> or a romance comic. <laughs> yeah, I guess. which is that's really interesting to think, you know, you could marry those two things. Well, when I tried to write a romance comic for Sean, I ended up with a story about a girl obsessed with drugs. So that didn't really work out. But this time I tried to write like a really small murder mystery and it ended up being a, a giant love story about you know, the totality of, of life, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I, you know, yeah. Paul and I got a chance to check it out. I think that's a good summation of it. Uh, but <laughs> we'll, uh, let's talk about that a little bit more in the second half. For now, I have to ask two legally mandated questions. And that is, how have you been and how have comic books been? Paul, I'm going to kick over to you to start us off. Sure. Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, it's a rainy foggy day here in west michigan for those waiting, waiting for the west michigan weather report um perfect weather to sit inside and read comics uh i read something or technically reread something i wanted to talk about on the show and that's monica the new book by daniel klaus that fantagraphics published back in october and i read it as soon as it came out i'm a huge daniel klaus fan so anytime a new book from him comes out you know i jump right on it and this is seven years since his last book so it's a, a big deal and as soon as i was finished with it i decided i needed to reread it and uh it's interesting. It's a book that demands kind of re rereading and revisiting. And I think each time you do it, it's going to change the way you think about the story and how the story feels. Mm -hmm. 
So the main story is about the title character, Monica, as she searches for answers about her life, who her real father was, why her mother abandoned her at a young age. And along the way, it kind of dives, delves into conspiracy theories, new age, like doomsday cults and supernatural phenomena. And it feels like Klaus is kind of channeling the paranoia in the world right now. And he's such an astute observer of human nature and society and culture that I think he's like capturing the post-Trump, post-pandemic world that we're all in right now and using conspiracy theory and you know, these cult like uh, doomsday cults to kind of capture that. Uh, but what I think makes the book interesting is the way it's told. It's divided into nine chapters and some of which feel like self-contained stories in themselves, which is something he did in his book, Ice Haven, uh, that came out a long time ago, I think at this point. Uh, another one of uh, <laughs> sure. his books that I really enjoy. But with this one, he's like playing with different genres. Like the first story is like an EC comic style war story. There's a romance story. There's a horror sort of like gothic horror story, detective story. And um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how they all fit together, but it feels like they must to tell the larger story. And I know the word Lynchian gets like overused and misused a lot, but it did remind me of watching uh, season three of Twin Peaks. Because you're not sure how all of it fits together. And again, with Twin Peaks season three, when I rewatched it, it felt like a different show than when I first watched it. And same thing with Monica. Mm -hmm. It felt like a different book when I reread it. Uh, the well, ending the story is her story that she writes. Right. Yeah. Like in the, right. in Without, the World right. War II thing is her dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it takes some, you have to piece it together. Cause you're like, Oh wait, she says she used to write a bunch of stories, like weird right. science fiction story. Like, so you're like, Oh mm -hmm. yeah. It's really yeah, yeah. interesting for that. Sorry. Am I allowed to interrupt? Tell us to uh, shut up. We'll monologue all day. <laughs> I want, I want to, yeah. I mean, when I reread it, that's, that's the impression I got. But even then there are a lot of parallels between those, those fictional stories that pop up in, in mm -hmm. the story Monica's telling. Yeah. Yeah. The reality and the fantasy starts to really blend together by the end, especially yeah. with yeah. the radio and it's, all that. Yeah. Especially the last panel when you see the conclusion of the story and it's just like, how did he get here? And I'm not quite sure how he got there. And it makes me want to go back and revisit it again. Cause like, I don't want to spoil the ending. Cause that last panel is kind of a mind blower. Like it's such a weird yeah. left turn that it takes. But yeah, I think, I think Klaus is like, I think it's one of his best books. I, I actually really liked it a lot. I think it's interesting to see someone like that with such an established 40 year long career do his kind of like his greatest hits. Like there's a lot in there that looks like ghost world that looks like ice Haven that looks like other books he's done. But he's kind of playing with different ideas of how to tell the story, I think. So I, I actually really enjoyed the book. It's probably one of the best things I've read this year. And I'm going to have to reread it a few more times, I think, to really kind of get all the nuance out of it. Yeah, it's definitely a book that I, I finished and then immediately said, I don't think I'm going to get this until I read it one more time, even even <laughs> with seeing all of the pieces. And I haven't read yeah. a lot of Klaus's work, but um, still, it definitely feels like a book that rereading it is going to give you, like you said, a very different experience because you know how the story ends and in the final pages. Um, and yeah. again, those that last few panels, it's I was kind of <laughs> like, OK, this feels like a weird 90s indie movie that just starts playing like heavy metal for no reason, despite this <laughs> being like a slice of life film the entire time. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess we'll leave it at that without going yeah. too spoilery. But um, I, Ed, let's let's bounce over to you. Um, our questions are: How have you been? How have comic books been? I guess what have you been reading and what's been going on? Um, I've been just super busy. Uh, the last year has been like the busiest of my life between writing comics and working in film and TV at the same time, and dealing with like some intense family stuff and just sure. kind of trying to juggle too many things and uh still you know dealing with the 
living in the pandemic a little bit here and there (laughs) in those, Mm -hmm. in those moments of like, is this safe to do or should I just not go to comic conventions? Like things like that. Um, mostly, mostly okay though. Just, uh, just a lot of, a lot of work, good problems to have. Um, I've been, you know, this year, uh, working on a criminal TV show for Amazon and, and adapting one of our books into a movie with, uh, with an Oscar winning director, uh, attached. So there's been a lot of like positive movement towards, you know, getting some of our stuff adapted and hopefully, hopefully things will start getting announced soon if they, if they actually happen. But I've, I've learned over the 20 years we've been doing this to, to never count on anything until you're actually on set watching it be filmed. And even then, apparently these days they can just delete it and take a tax write off later. So. Right. right. Um, but yeah, just, just a lot of that. And, um, the comic I've been reading uh, the last like week or so is this uh, Watership Down hardback by um, adapted by, adapted from the Richard Adams book by James Sturm and Joe Sutphin, and it's it's about five I want to say five hundred pages or so, and it's really good. It's uh, I heard about it and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think it should be adapted into a graphic novel. But then I thought, well, I liked the movie. <laughs> I mean, the movie scarred right. most of everyone I know's childhoods. Um, and, you know, but I was, my dad told me ahead of time it wasn't a kid's movie. So I just loved it and, and thought it was just this really bleak, you know, horrific movie about rabbits. But yeah, the right. book is, the book is really amazing. And it's, it's something I'll, I've recommended to a lot of friends who have like uh, kids that are, you know, 12 or older or so to, cause I think it might be like a really fun kind of adventure story that says a lot about life in it and uh but it's just gorgeously adapted james uh i think did the layouts like harvey kurtzman style and and adapted the okay. book yeah. and joe sutfin did all the finished art he's like a i guess he's like a fairly famous um children's book artist so mm-hmm. um and nature artist but yeah it looks it looks just insane it's it's gorgeous does it does it go into the brutalities the same way that like the movie does? <laughs> it's I mean yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty rough yeah there's a okay. and there's a story in it from the book that I had totally forgotten um, that's much more brutal than like any of the L R R stuff that's in the movie where you're just okay. like oh my god but it's but it, it reads like a Grimm's fairy tale at that moment and you're like oh wow this gotcha. is insane um, but yeah it's just a real I mean I, I think it was like a five year work for these guys to make the book so it yeah but it was definitely it was definitely worth it and it's like there was a there was a vonnegut adaptation of slaughterhouse five a couple years ago that actually was was really good too and that was one where i was like i don't know if this book needs to be adapted into a graphic novel and and it was actually a really good graphic novel i still am on the fence about whether it needed to happen though because i think vonnegut pretty much should just be left on his own because i love what he does as as what Mm -hmm. they are I don't think everything needs to, I, I get asked every now and then by like famous crime writers or authors to, if I want to adapt their books into graphic novels. And I was like, no, I want to write my own books. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, it's just kind of funny. It shows you how big a thing graphic novels are when we all sit around and worry about comics, like all these like <laughs> multimillionaire authors who sell like a hundred thousand copies are like, I need to get that graphic novel audience. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's a really interesting thing to, to think about because it must mean that 
some of those authors have like a, a specific vision for how things they want things to look and they want to be able to get it to paper and maybe their words just aren't enough because prose is inherently interpretive right yeah um but if you can get the right artist to kind of nail a style uh, that's really interesting yeah 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 it's funny too because i think you know some of sometimes you know it's like anything if you're not really i guess we're all comics people, you know, like I grew up reading mm -hmm. comics, like comics was my first language, I think before I even could sure. read, I was reading comics. So like, I speak in comics, when I write comics, it's like, it's just normal. Like I'm, I, I've been doing screenwriting for long enough now that it's like second nature, but comics feels much more like natural to me. And gotcha. so gotcha. sometimes it annoys me when people who are not comics people are like trying to like, like I always think of them as carpetbaggers. You know? <laughs> yeah. it's like trying to use comics because that's what's selling or whatever mm -hmm. oh and, sure, uh, sure 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 you know what like recently uh when the strike was happening i was looking at what like people were saying on social media i don't generally look at social media at all and i don't have any um and but i was looking at it to follow stuff on the strike and i saw one of my favorite uh writers was just like yelling at people about comic book movies and how much he hated them and, and how much he didn't think of comics as a real art form. And then like Ugh. a couple of days after that announced a graphic novel adaptation of like, like a book he wrote. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> I was like, you understand you just spent days dissing the art form and now you're like, but this is yeah. different. Right. Um, so yeah, to me, I'm like, that's the kind of like, when I see stuff like that, I always roll my eyes. I'm like, you just don't appreciate comics as an art form. You still like anyone over a certain age still sort of thinks of comics as like this redheaded stepchild. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. no offense it's like throwaway medium children. <laughs> yeah. To all of our redheaded children out there, just we an old phrase. <laughs> we'll bleep it. We'll bleep yeah. it. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, well, cool. Thank you. Um, I guess let me let me talk about a book that I read recently. Um, I read Factory Summers by Guy Desolé. I guess I could tell you what, what I've been up to. I was at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia earlier this weekend, and I rushed home um, so we could record this podcast. Um, I played a bunch of really, really cool tabletop RPGs oh, wow. like Dragon's Bane from Free League. So if you want to ever <laughs> play as like a stealthy duck person, that's the game for you because it's built right into the system. Um, but that was really fun. Um, played a bunch of other things and tried out a bunch of board games with some folks because that's basically what you do it at those ga gaming conventions but i did sit down and read some comics i read factory summers by guy desolet uh this is from drawn and quarterly and i i'll be honest i haven't read any of uh desolet's other more famous works like his uh pyongyang book uh his uh, sension a travelogue from china um this was just a book that was recommended to me by either kate lamphier or kate scotchless on the show um one of them read this and said this is great for like as like a slice of life kind of just like auto bio book and uh yeah it was it was a really intriguing boring book which i don't say as an <laughs> insult because it's about a guy working in a paper factory for a couple of summers from high school to college um at, or through university and it's it's like it reminded me a lot of ducks um the kate beaton book that came out pretty recently where it's mm -hmm. kind of just like going through the day-to-day -day, going through the processes of things that they learned while on the job um kind of highlighting some of the, the yuckier aspects of things obviously in kate's case for ducks it's pretty like awful um i think in factory summers it's kind of just like there are these guys and they all work there and they've been there for their entire lives and some of them hate their wives and some of them think oh you're never going to be able to make it as an artist and they're kind of just mean to him um except for when they're nice to him it's like it's very back and forth um he spends a lot of time kind of pontificating on 
all the times and places where he could have died working in this factory, thinking about like reflecting back. If my hand had just slipped into something, I could just be mush. That would be the end of it, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very like just book that keeps moving at a pace that makes you feel like you can't stop reading because there's nothing overwhelming about it. There's nothing too hard to think about. It's just like the, multiple summers that he goes through as he is slowly trying to make it as a comic book artist but needs money so he goes to work in this factory um mm -hmm. he's got a little bit of a, a a weird relationship with his dad um who's divorced from his mom or he normally lives with his mom um it plays into the part of the book but overall it, like i said it was very good from start to finish like it doesn't feel like there's a lot of substance to it until you finish the book and go wow that was like a really interesting unique look at one person's life or a time in their life. Um, and I think, again, comics being this medium that is extremely unique in the way that it can tell stories and being, as we've said many times, it's funny that you just said that some people see comics as like this throwaway art. We talk all the time about how it is like maybe the perfect medium for expressing stories. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like this is a perfect example of that, that you can only really ever get in a comic because I don't think this would make a good movie. I don't think this would make a good TV show, but it makes a fantastic comic that is very, very interesting to read from start to finish. So um, sure. if you're looking for like a really nice auto bio book that just kind of feels good at the end this is a good one are you uh are you a fan of you hadn't read any of his stuff before that at all no i hadn't um and i know that like pyongyang was like a book that a million people had recommended to me mm -hmm. um i think i also bought his book jerusalem as a gift for somebody yeah uh, or maybe it was jerusalem it might have been something else but uh it, yeah it was a book about hostage situations which get very very dark if you like the factories book you should check out the uh, mantra jean stuff that uh Okay. That Drawn and Quarterly publishes by uh, um, Barbarian and Dupuis. Yeah, they were like, you know, they're kind of, uh, they've been around a long time since like the 90s, but they're they're kind of like the Francophile version of like uh, Harvey Picar or, you know, gotcha. like they're just these kind of slice cool. of life things about this author in France traveling around Europe and his love life and stuff. But they're just really just beautifully drawn. And um, but, yeah, they there's a lot of, you know, autobiographical comics is uh, mm -hmm. is one of those things that seems to sort of come and go throughout the, the art comic side, uh, like yeah. the trends of when people do it or don't do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, like when I first broke into comics, that was like the big, you know, it was like a whole generation of us who'd been influenced by Harvey Picar, basically mm -hmm. like, oh, my life is my life is grimy, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what we need to work a job and want to be an artist. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree, though, that it's really funny because I feel like every other year we do see like waves of auto bio mm -hmm. comics and like. I, I know enough folks that work in like the zine, like yeah. comic side of things where they're like, these books are always out there. It's yeah. just like the mainstream or like the larger populace of comics seems to latch onto them like CBR or yeah. comics beat or whoever will pick it up for a little bit yeah. and then it'll kind of dwindle and then eventually comes back. Yeah. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think we're in an, in an upswing. That's my guess. Yeah, right I think, now. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it. Yeah. The, the graphic uh, novel market is very receptive to that stuff. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, any comic you can just give to anybody is, you know, yeah, that's the key.
<laughs> right. right, right. I mean, that's I, that's a whole other thing. I've got a yeah. question about that that we'll maybe get sure. to in a little bit. Um, but okay. Paul, why don't you tell us one more about one more book that you read? I'll talk about one more, and then we'll jump into comics that we're looking forward to. Sure. I, I mean, I'm on the show, so I'm kind of like obligated to talk about Batman because I'm the you know one of the resident yes. Batman fans on the podcast <laughs> along mm-hmm. with Danny. So I read uh, Batman: City of Madness number one. This is a new um, uh, one of the DC black label books that they're doing the big magazine sized uh books oh, the uh, christian illustrated one? yep yep christian yeah. ward christian yeah. ward yep. i saw the art for that it looks really great it's great i mean that's really the highlight for me i think kevin christian ward on batman is great because i love seeing people do not quite unconventional but a little bit different batman art and it's like the fact that christian Ward is somebody that works with like bright neon blues and hot pinks and like that all like makes gotham and batman pop in an interesting way especially in like the larger magazine format for that book um the story though that christian ward wrote again like i I imagine if you get a chance to write a batman story you're going to put everything you want into it so the story includes the court of owls uh two-face there's a story about an orphan coming to gotham to get revenge for his father being killed by a corrupt cop there's a whole part about alfred musing about his role in the whole thing it's like there's a lot in the book and part of me wonder if it's just maybe too much but i'm sure as it goes on the next few issues it'll kind of like come together into a larger story um there's a whole sequence where some destructive force that the court of owls is keeping locked under the city has escaped uh there's a part about two-face getting a possible third personality that batman has to uh deal with now and he's asking batman for help uh there's a great there's a great page though yeah (laughs) there's a great page there's a third face on the back all right right. yeah yeah there's (laughs) i don't want to spoil anything there's a point where he's talking to the third personality and instead of being split you know vertically his face is split horizontally like the top is normal and the bottom is all scarred so which is kind of great um but when that that part of the story happens batman goes to arkham and it's like there's a couple panels that look straight out of the the morrison uh book you know arkham asylum story so like Mm. ward is like playing with a lot of the greatest hits of batman stuff and again i imagine if you get a chance to write batman you're going to want to do all your greatest hits is that something that you felt when you were writing Batman, Ed? <laughs> um, like a little bit of both. It's like you want to be yeah. able to do... It was It was actually the frustrating thing about writing Batman was that like, you'd be like, oh, I want to do a story with such and such character. And you're like, oh, you can't use them because they're in this book this month or they're, or right, they're in right, something. Yeah. So it was like always having to figure out, like, well, who can I use? Like, oh, you couldn't use Two-Face because he just got put in Arkham or he was in, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, but yeah, I think when you, when, you know, you have an idea about like, whenever you take a, over a book that's an iconic character, you want to kind of uh, do something that feels both like new and like something that you really want to write, but also something that sort of has a little bit of a touch of nostalgia for, Sure. Uh, you know, the long-term readers and because it also like fires your nostalgia for the character. Cause you always have to, you know, figure out a way to do something like that for, especially for characters that have been around for 80 something years, you know, it's like yeah, right. 5,000 right. Batman comics, you know? Right. So like, yeah, um, how do you have a new, how do you have a new take or a new story for that, that kind of character? Yeah. Kind of I mean, we talked yeah, about yeah. that a lot when I was working on the first season of the new cartoon with Bruce Tim, like the, sure. um, yeah. And, you know, just wanting it to feel similar to the old show, but also like different in ways that would really surprise people and be like, wait, what? Especially because, you know, everyone's going in with the expectations that it's, you know, season five of Betas and it's like, oh, it's not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, it's, it's, you know, you want to touch on all those classic things, but then figure out some way to put a new spin on it or, or something that, right. that stands with people. The problem is it takes a while uh, to figure out, because at first when you touch on those things, you're just kind of repeating the beat sometimes, or you're getting, you're just sort of paying a homage to the stuff that you liked. And mm-hmm. if sure. you stick around on a book for longer or something like Gotham Central, where it just started out with us subverting it all because it wasn't about right. it wasn't about Batman it was about the cops and so we were able to get to what we really wanted it to be a lot quicker i think um, I it usually yeah. takes you a few issues on like a book like that to really get to you know making it feel like unique or different and or like something yeah. that feels more personal to you as a creator if you can if you can do that during on work for hire a lot of people can't really a lot of people sure. don't or don't get lucky enough that they're allowed to, you know, like right. a lot of the yeah. company books that, you know, they don't get as much freedom. I, I got lucky and that, you know, when I was working on Batman and Catwoman and Gotham Central, our editor was really cool and just like what we were doing and didn't, you know, didn't try to make us push it in a different direction or anything. And same on Cap and Daredevil. Yeah. I just was allowed to right. do whatever I wanted, basically. Um, nice. you know, so I brought Bucky yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the biggest thing to I break can do? One yeah. of the biggest yeah. Marvel rules, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, which, but, but that's what the, the, the uniqueness of this black label is, right? Like yeah. this is yeah. a black label book, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, right? It's right. so they get anything to they want. bend yeah. and, yeah. Yeah. It's their, it's yeah. their, you know, whatever they would have put Arkham Asylum out on or Vertigo, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I think, the I think the sleepers book. reprinted through black label actually. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, that would make sense now that yeah, with Vertigo shutters, it, it switched from Wildstorm to Vertigo at some point on one of the recent reprints. They reprint it like every five years, just I guess <laughs> yeah. to keep all the rights <laughs> for the characters or something. I yeah, don't exactly. Know. I don't understand their <laughs> publishing plan. <laughs> right. Well, that's why Watchmen's still on the shelf, right? I mean, that's yeah, right? yeah, yeah, a whole exactly. other discussion. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let me let me talk about one book really quick, uh, and then we'll go into the top for a pile. Um, I read The Hard Switch. This is by Owen D. Pomery. Um, this is a book that I was uh, subtly but certainly bullied into um, by our good pal Nick, who's on the show. Uh, Nick was just sending me Twitter and Instagram posts of Owen's artwork, which is beautiful, uh, like these beautiful landscapes and spaceships and stuff. And Nick knows I'm into all that kind of stuff. And so eventually when this Kickstarter came out for the hard switch, I was like, okay, immediate. Yes, I got to do this thing. Avery Hill Press, it turns out, like gets their Kickstarters out like the moment the books finish on Kickstarter, which is really cool because I feel like I backed this literally two months ago and then the book was in my house, at, you know, right after the Kickstarter. Oh, wow. Finished. So that was really cool. I don't think that's ever happened for a Kickstarter I've backed. I know, right? I feel like half of them <laughs> I'm still like, is that showing up ever? Or did it ship? Right. I don't even know. <laughs> right. I mean, at this point, it feels like there's a lot of there's a co- lot of comic book publisher like sub companies or like indie press that like have this really really well done like we're gonna finish the Kickstarter. We're already in the printing phase because yeah. we hit the Kickstarter funding goal. Mm-hmm. So like they've got the the system out of you know the kinks out of the system by now. Yeah, there's whole companies you can work with for Kickstarter where they just handle everything for you now, exactly. which you know. Oh. You're going to do it. it. Everyone I've talked to who didn't have one of those companies, it sounds like more than a full time job to like <laughs> for sure. Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I always and I, just saw all the money and I was like, man, they must, it must be so great. And then it turns out, you know, mostly <laughs> the money is to printing the stuff and sending it to people because right. shipping is a fortune. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that, that was the thing that really surprised me about this Kickstarter because, like, I, I've backed, I, I don't want to even. <laughs> 
look at the number number of Kickstarters um, just because <laughs> I, I really believe in like the indie comic scene. And I really want to help uh, with what I can. And so this this getting to my house literally like within two months was really impressive. Um, on top of that, the book is beautiful, right? Um, Owen's art is fantastic. Like you open up the first page and it's just this beautiful rendition of this ship that is like the core of the story. Um, and the core of the story follows a three person like crew on, on like a five person ship as they basically are waiting out what they call the hard switch, which is the end of this time in the universe where people will no longer be able to essentially like fast travel through the galaxy. Um, and so their their whole thing is they're scrappers and they go to try to find crashed wrecks to try to just get this this very limited resource that does all these fancy calculations to allow them to do that. In that, we get a little bit of intrigue, we get to meet a couple of alien friends, we get to go to a couple different planets. And Owen really basically gets to flex all of his like, I want to draw cool space shit um, every page <laughs> in this book. Uh, the story is really simple. Um, I think it kind of amps itself up into a weird direction by the end. But overall, the book is really fun. Um, the characters are really lovable and the art is stupendous like i really just wanted to have more of his art in my house and now i do mm -hmm. i have two books um i've got his other book called victory point which came out as part of the kickstarter as well so like again i got two books for one like how, how often can you say that two books came to your house from a kickstarter like immediately after the kickstarter finish i think it's very rare so yeah. um you, i think you can get this book on avery hill press's website if you're interested we'll put a link in the show notes but um yeah really really cool and absolutely gorgeous art so nice. totally fun uh, but yeah, let's let's move on. Let's talk about books that we're excited to read next. Comics that are on the top of our pile, whether they're new or old or just something you've been meaning to read for a really long time. Um, before we get into that, we had some folks hanging out with us on Discord. Uh, Danny is going to be reading Batman slash Santa Claus. <laughs> what is this, Danny? Batman Santa Claus Silent Night number one. Uh, Kate mm -hmm. is going to be reading The Best We Could Do. Uh, Hugh is going to be reading uh, The Hunger in the Dusk number four. I'm also very much looking forward to that book. But uh, Ed, let's start with you. What's the book that's on the top of your pile? Or what's the book you want to read the most next? Well, there's a couple. I, a lot of my friends work in comics, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what Chip Zdarsky does next on Public Domain, which I think is like a really great mm -hmm. book. Um, yeah. I've seen most of uh, like the the story and and pages i haven't seen it all completely finished for uh this original graphic novel that uh that uh, my friend karen gillen is working on um uh with the woman who who drew die uh stephanie hans um and that looks really amazing and uh just the other day i read like a early draft of the first issue of a new comic from uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick and, and uh, that's going to come out next year. And I was really blown away by that. So just a bunch of stuff that's not available for anyone to order yet. <laughs> oh, and I really <laughs> loved, cool. uh, I read the first issue of, of the new um, James Tynan book, uh, the deviant um, by uh, drawn by Josh Hicks. And, and I thought that was really, uh, I think that's the best thing that he's done. But either I think that's the best thing either of them have done. Actually, like the art is wow. amazing. In that that's very high praise because I think that those sure. two have put out some pretty good books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was like uh, a friend, and I were. I was trying. I'm a couple of my writer friends from TV. I'm trying to convince to come write comics, uh, and because mm. uh, I just you know think that they're just amazing talents, and that they should do some things that they actually own instead of giving everything away to studios. 
Um, and totally. also the creative satisfaction of working on a thing where you're not going to get a bunch of notes from people to change it into something you don't want it to be. <laughs> like a lot, I have a lot of friends who've never had that where they actually get to write a story from beginning to end. That's the way they want it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know how yeah. I would live if my life was right. just Hollywood. <laughs> like I would just be a technical writer or something. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, and one of the artists we reached out to was Josh and, then suddenly he got snapped up by James. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> but then I saw the book and I was like, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you just fold your arms. I guess that's yeah. fine. That's fine. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. I've got Tom Phillips and Marcos Martin. So, I, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you're good, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, well, let me talk about a book that I'm reading next. Uh, and that is Our Bones Dust, number one. Uh, this is written and drawn by uh, Ben Steinbeck. Colors by the one and only Dave Stewart. Uh, nothing like a cool little four issue miniseries from Image to get you really excited about comics because I feel like every time I'm like on a downswing, uh, suddenly a an Image miniseries comes out and I'm like, oh right, I forgot these are the greatest fucking things in the entire world. Um, <laughs> but this book is uh, story is uh, a feral child, equal parts predator and prey, navigates a nightmare landscape of brutality and blood inhabited by scattered cannibal tribes. An interesting place to poke around for a curious artificial intelligence. And I mean. We've got Ben Steinbeck. We've got Dave Stewart. Two folks have been making Hellboy books look awesome for a really long time. And now Ben's putting together a book with Dave on colors. I'm in. Doesn't really have to be about anything in particular. I'm just happy to get comics from these guys. So I'm, I'm very excited for this one. It's a four issue nice. miniseries, like I said. Um, so this is going to be great to read in single issues and even better to probably collect and put on my shelf. So awesome. Paul, what about you? Uh, I'm excited for Birds of Prey number four. This is the DC series uh, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Leonardo Romero, uh, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Um, I'm really liking this series a lot. Um, I think Kelly Thompson is a great writer for balancing a team dynamic. And so you have a very diverse team this round for Birds of Prey. You got Black Canary putting together a, basically like a strike force that includes Cassandra Kane, uh, Zealot, Big Barda, and Harley Quinn. So having Harley Quinn and Big Barda like banter back and forth. Like those scenes are so great and so well done. It's a very humorous book in that regard. It's also very like action mm-hmm. heavy. And I was really stunned by how great Leonardo Romero is at balancing both aspects of those books. Like the the action sequences are really well done and like big panel type uh, fight scenes. And then at the same time, all the dialogue heavy back and forth stuff is really well done because he's has a really great touch of touch for a uh, body language and um facial expressions so you get the characters you know personalities through the pages there it reminds me of javier rodriguez's work if you're familiar with his stuff you know he did the mm-hmm. uh, uh stuff with al ewing recently the uh, um defender series and yeah. in the way um romero does body language like i said in the way he draws the characters especially a character like big barda there's a touch of jaime hernandez in it which of course i love because you know i'm a huge <laughs> love and rockets fan so getting sure. that kind of that kind of stuff in a superhero comic i'm really enjoying it it feels like a very unique book in that regard nice very nice um yeah i've been seeing previews of this book in kelly thompson's newsletter um and it looks really really fun um but i've never like been able to click with birds of prey but i think you might have sold me like i love Uh, kelly's work like overall like pretty much every book i've read by her i've fallen in love with i just don't need to have another book on my pull list but maybe this is good enough i mean that's where i'm at with her stuff too that's where i'm at with her stuff too because like i never imagined i'd be reading a black widow series but then the one she did for for marvel like a couple years ago is so so great so Kind of yeah. like a, an instant pull whenever she's on a book for me. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, well, cool. Let's let's take a quick break, though. Um, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more with Ed about uh, where the body was. Uh, Paul and I have got some killer questions that we're just going to try to rip Ed's head off with. And then uh, <laughs> maybe we'll talk a little bit more about comics and other things. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be back in just a second. For our show this week, you may have heard we have a special guest. Uh, Ed Brubaker is here to talk with us about where the body was written by Ed, art by Sean Phillips and colors by Jacob Phillips. Um, this is a pretty cool little book that Paul and I got to take a look at. And we talked a little bit in the first half about what it was, but I guess Paul and I have a couple questions that we want to ask Ed, maybe about this book, maybe about just writing comics in general. Um, so I'm just going to kick things off with here is saying like, you and Sean have been working together uh, for a while now. You've worked on a lot of books, um, but a lot of your books that you've done have focused solely, usually on like one, maybe two protagonists. Um, where the body was is broken up, I guess. Like, what made you decide that this book needed to be told with like multiple perspectives compared to like something like Killer Be Killed, where it's like just one guy's like mind trying to figure out what's going on here? Um, I think. Partly a reaction from Night Fever, which was so much in one person's head. And, um, yeah, you know, we did the fade out, which had, which, uh, you know, I wrote in third person and starred like, you know, a dozen different characters, but it was like a 400 and something page long book, like as long as Watchmen. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I wanted to do, uh, I've always been attracted to that kind of like indie film where it's a bunch of different people's stories overlapping or like, mm -hmm. like uh, what Chris Ware or Klaus or Seth or, you know, a bunch of different people have done in comics where they have different character characters all existing in the same story, telling different parts of it. And, you know, I, Alan Moore's done stuff like that. And I just have always mm -hmm. wanted to, do that kind of a thing where it was it was sort of about a location and i yeah. was uh going through like old pulp paperbacks to decide what to keep and get rid of and i and i noticed every time i'd get to one of my ones that had a map on the back i would set it aside i'm like i can't get rid of the map backs like there's there's just something so <laughs> cool about a map you know that's yeah, showing course. you where the thing takes place and then i just suddenly was like Oh, what if we did a book where like there was a map at the beginning, like the end papers are a map of the street that the whole mm -hmm. thing takes place on with a little legend. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where the book started was from the idea of doing a thing with multiple narrators all in one location. And then I started thinking about like, well, who are the characters? And, and I right. had bits and pieces of, of ideas for characters or for stories uh, over the years where that I hadn't gotten to uh, just different stories like the the therapist and his wife or the um, <laughs> the the guy with the badge and you know there were just these things that that I sort of jotted down in my notebook and I realized like if I took all these different stories and kind of overlapped them they would actually almost be like like if you look at the story in a way, it's almost like a podcast version of double indemnity or something like that. But then it has all this over <laughs> other stuff happening. Yeah. It, so it feels mm -hmm. bigger than that even, but like the plot yeah. of it is very much, you know, like just sort of buried inside of what's actually happening on the pages. So mm -hmm. um, that was, that was kind of the, the beginning of it. it. It was kind of like a spark of inspiration, like right after I finished night fever usually when i'm finishing you know the script for one book i start 
I've spent the last month before that as I was writing sort of figuring out like, okay, what's going to be next? Like, what are we going to do criminal? Are we going to do another reckless book or are we going to do another mm-hmm. new original thing? And, um, and that was really like, I just had that idea and then I just grabbed a notebook and I sat down for like three days and filled about a hundred pages of notebook with all these different right. characters and, and then trying to figure out the sequence that the chapters should take place in was, you know, mm-hmm. really, the, the hardest part of it. But yeah, it was really, it's, it's actually the most detailed outlining I've probably done in 20 years. Like just cause oh, I had wow. to figure out who every, every different character was and what they're like there. I know so much more about those characters than is in that book. Right. Oh, well. Huh. well, I mean, it's, it's clear reading that book that like, these are all like almost like real people. Like they, they <laughs> it's so funny. I feel like I was, I was reading it by the time I got to probably the last third, I was like, Oh wait, there's like, a body here there's like there's yeah. a story that we need to, there's, a, there's a thing we're supposed to solve there's so many other pieces uh-huh. going on because like interpersonal drama and all the different relationships and how they intertwine like yeah you don't meet the you don't meet the dead body until much later in the story than i imagine exactly mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> yeah i think Go that's ahead, what i found really interesting too the way that you were able to create a sense of place with that street that everything takes place on and then because you have the recurring characters and you revisit the characters later in life when they're remembering the story it kind of like that uh the unreliable narrator narrator shifting narrator felt like that's essential to telling this type of story you couldn't just do it from one perspective right it had to be yeah i mean i mean i guess you could but i don't yeah to me that was the the interesting thing about it was that it, it did things that you could only really do in comics which is mm-hmm. like have a person telling a story and then get older throughout the course of the page to the point where they're yeah. like, it's like, Oh, so she's just been telling this story for her whole life. And it's like, mm-hmm. but you can do that. Yeah. You can, I, w- I really wanted to play around with like all the elements of, of what comics can do that other media really can't do because mm-hmm. you know, right. a lot of times people do just think of comics as like, proof of concept to sell a movie now you know there's all these comic book companies appearing that are just ip farms you know and yeah and so i just wanted to do something that was so obstinately just this is a comic book you can't do this any i mean you could probably do you could do a book like that i guess but it wouldn't be as effective with the character standing there talking to the reader and you know Mm -hmm. but it was just like it's all the kind of stuff that i've used when i used to be in independent comics like having different characters just like stop and tell you and look directly at the camera and talk. Cause it's just like, mm-hmm. I remember the first time I read like American splendor when I was like 13 or something and being like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, he's just yeah. standing there talking to me. Like, and just, blown away. <laughs> like, you can just do that. Like, you know, right. but it's like, yeah. Oh, it's like, Oh yeah. But that's what Charles Schultz did constantly in peanuts. He just have them walking and talking to you. And, you know, so mm-hmm. it's just like, there's these, there's this sort of, you know, I mean, like, I agree with you. I think comics is, is one of the best art forms, you know, for storytelling that ever existed. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I just wanted to really sort of push on it and be a little bit more experimental and play with the form while, you know, telling what I, you know, I thought was a really human story. Yeah. I, I don't want to spoil anything obviously, but I really liked, there was like almost like a tonal shift when you get to the epilogue of the story where it's like, you as the writer almost addressing the reader and i feel like that was like a it was a playful in a way that i mean a lot of your work is more serious and you know violent so it's like to have a sort of playful open you know loose sort of story like that i thought was really interesting was that something you knew going in you wanted to tell that to have that kind of tone to it um 
No, I don't know. I I, I knew I was there was going to be a divide between like a sort of third person narration, and then mm-hmm. the characters would sort of take over and start telling their story, but it would and that it would bounce back and forth. That's why that like ones in lowercase and ones in uppercase. Um, right. And, yeah. But I, you know, I, I did feel like there were some elements of comedy in it. So, um, (laughs) yeah, you know, like, uh, I I think it's just sort of my voice. I don't know. I I didn't really, I didn't really think too hard about any of that stuff about, like, I knew that that, that, uh, page turn at the end when you get the wait, but what happened? Like that moment (laughs) of, you know, like. Like I knew that that was going to get a laugh from people, but I also thought that chapter mm-hmm. was kind of poignant in a way too, while also being kind of like, Oh fuck. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah, that, that was, but that was like one of the first things I thought of too, was like how to do that. And initially that came a little bit earlier in the story. And then I was like, no, no, it has to be at the oh. end. And like when I was yeah. thinking of how to pace it, like not, right. not when I actually wrote the script. <laughs> <laughs> just when I was doing the outlining and sort of mapping out the flow chart of the of the book. Gotcha. I'm kind of curious. I mean, there's so much of your work that has a sort of cinematic quality to it. I'm wondering, in your writing process, is there, do you have like a soundtrack or playlist that you write to in mind? And does that change for each project depending on the tone? Um, you approach it that way? For period piece work, I tend to make like a big playlist of, of songs from like the era, like, like, uh, mm-hmm. the movie that I was working on, uh, recently was like a thirties period piece. And so, uh, me and the other writer that I was working with on it, uh, the, the director, uh, we made like a shared, like, you know, hits of the thirties kind of playlist so that you have a sense of what the characters might be hearing when they're listening to the radio or out in clubs or, um, yeah. I like to use stuff that way. Um, when I'm writing, I have to have some kind of noise on. And so like, like a lot of writers will write to like instrumental stuff cause words will bother mm-hmm. them. But what I've, what I've ended up doing is I have like three or four bands that I just know so well that when I put them on, it's just like, it's like a security blanket or something. Like it's yeah. not really yeah. distracting. It's more like, Oh, okay. And so like for a lot, I'll go between different ones. Like I'll, I'll put on like a bell and Sebastian mix or like the complete Nick Drake, you know, I've written a lot to, to Nick Drake or, um, uh, I can't really write to anything that's really aggressive, you know, like I used to listen to Nick Cave's soundtrack for the Jesse James movie. And yeah. man, that is a tense fucking thing to write to. You realize you're just grinding <laughs> your teeth as you're writing. And even though right, it's right. like this beautiful music, it's just like slow building tension. There's a band low that I like that I can just put on yeah. like, and just hit mix and everything's just kind of like mellow, but it's like, yeah, it helps me get in the zone of like blocking out the world. Cause you're in front of a computer and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, now we all have to pay for programs to like be able to block out the internet while we try to work or stuff. Like, <laughs> it's just funny, like the lengths we go to, to, and you know, for me, I just pick up a notebook and go sit in a different room, write on paper and try to try <laughs> right. to remember what it was like to be single focused and not, not, you know, I can't check my email on my, on my notebook. On my right. paper right <laughs> unfortunately you still have to pay ten dollars yeah. every time you pick up the notebook though and it's yeah, really exactly. weird right? <laughs> the notebook company charges me a subscription fee now. 
Like you can't buy the notebook. Well, you can buy the notebook for the first year. You just buy it for the $8. Mm -hmm. But then after that, you pay us a dollar every year that you still own the notebook. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Field Notes. Field Notes has got a really big subscription problem that we need to fix right here on this show. Um, (laughs) No, that's cool. I I feel the same way. I used to listen to the like Nine Inch Nails or not Nine Inch Nails. What is it? Atticus Ross and uh, Trent Reznor's Mm -hmm. soundtrack they did for Social Network. And then I realized that like it's a really yeah. good soundtrack and i like it because it's very instrumental and it's, it's kind of upbeat but like i sit at a computer all day too and it, i realized that i was just like my heart rate was just going because that movie is just like upbeat. It. yeah <clears throat> it's yeah. it's way too much i totally feel that <laughs> i'm gonna have to go back and reread killer be killed uh while listening to low or bell and sebastian nice little mellow you know <laughs> see if that counteracts you know what's on the page <laughs> right right <laughs> I wonder what I, I think I might have been just listening to like Joy Division when I wrote that. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um. So I was gonna say before uh, we kind of mentioned this, you've been working with Image for forever, right? Like you, you talked about like when you were working in indie comics, working around Marvel and stuff. Yeah, about twelve years now. I've we've had like we have. I think we're yeah we're in our second like overall deal there right now. Right. Okay. I re- I remember that that big huge announcement that Image did where they're like five year deal back in 2014 yeah. and it's going to be you guys just doing whatever the hell you wanted, which resulted in some incredible books. Um, I guess like what is it that keeps you st- stuck at Image when there's like a couple of other you know indie publishers out there? Why not just move everything over to like a panel syndicate? Um, is it just the distribution or is it just like you've got a really good deal with them? Um, or is it just you love Image? Because I love Image, so I can totally understand that as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, every publisher has has ups and downs and not everyone's experience at them is the same. Um, you know, I came to Image from icon which was marvel's sort of image stand-in that they created for brian bendis um Mm -hmm. and the thing that was the problem with icon was you know they didn't care if it was successful at all it was just it was like a vanity press for their big writers that they to keep us happy like and it was like a it was like a favor and and you like I can't remember who I heard say this when I was younger, like some artist or writer or somebody, but it always stuck with me. Like, no, I'm never going to make a living on favors. You know, right. like, I'm not going to build a career on someone doing me a favor. Like that's not going to work. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had lunch with Kirkman one day when I was visiting LA for some movie meeting or something. And he just basically said, you know, what, do you, what would it take to, you know, for you to bring you and Sean's stuff to image and, you know, and, and we went over it and I was, and he was like, yeah, that'll be no big deal. I was like, oh, okay. And that was like life changing for me. Um, you know, totally. to be able to, you know, we, we have a bigger percentage of the profit than we were getting at the other company. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're very supportive with advances and stuff where I'd been funding like everything through icon, you know, out of pocket. Like I would, I like when we started criminal, like, you know, it, it was, it was a incredibly, I mean, it still is an incredibly hostile market for anything that's not superheroes, but, but especially, you know, right then. And it was like, you know, we, we pushed it big as from the writer of, you know, the death of Captain America, which had sold like a million copies, 
and the, yeah, and the yeah. artist of Marvel Zombies, which had sold like you know eight hundred thousand copies. So <laughs> mm-hmm, like we mm-hmm. we picked the biggest time of our career to launch it, you know, but we still only sold like twenty five thousand of the first issue initially. And so That's crazy. I would fund these things out of my pocket from like Marvel royalties or from like advanced foreign sales on on you know for five different territories or something. Um, so it was a real, you know, change to have a publisher that was willing to really back it and that really, uh, you know, really cared about that book as opposed to, you know, it just being a thing that I got to do on the side as a favor. Like, and I, and I knew, you know, that that was really where I wanted to be the superhero books. Like I had a lot of fun, you know, on, on the majority of the ones I did. I don't, I don't think I, you know ever did the run on Batman that I would have liked to have had. Like I never had a, sure. a big run with an artist where I really gelled with, you know, um, sure. like I got given that book, like, cause they were firing a writer and they needed somebody <laughs> basically. And so they, I was just given Batman with an artist that, you know, was really good at stuff that I wasn't really good at writing. And so there was like always this tension yeah. of like, there's not enough action in here or there's not enough double page spreads. And I was like, that's just not what I do. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, but I, I had a really good time doing that. But, you know, I think if I added up all the superhero comics I wrote from like 1999 until I quit doing superheroes in like 2012 or something like that, it's probably like a thousand stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that, that we all still that are still in print that we still talk about occasionally are those stuff that I'm really proud of. (laughs) So it's obviously Captain America and Daredevil and Iron Mm -hmm. Fist and Gotham Mm -hmm. Central and Catwoman. Like, but you know, like it's, you never know what, what you do this work. And it's like, like I did years on X-Men. I was supposed to do like a quick fill in on X-Men before Mark Mm -hmm. Miller took over both books. And so it was supposed to just be a short, year in and out and then i got stuck on x-men for like five years because mark never did it <laughs> it, was like, it was too hard to quit and they didn't want me to quit and and so sure, to me yeah. i look at that as like well you know i did the job and i had fun doing it but you know i'm not like a huge that wasn't my goal in life was to write x-men so when people come up and sure. tell me they love my x-men run i'm always surprised and I'm, and you know, initially I would be like, "Oh no, you're kidding! That's I, I don't, you're that's my worst <laughs> stuff." And then people get really upset, and I realized, like, "Oh yeah, they they're it's different to them. Like to them, it's like, yeah. and it wasn't like I wasn't trying to make it good. I just feel like, oh sure, you know, like it just team books in general have never been my thing. Whereas, give me Captain America, mm-hmm. and if you read my Captain America run, it certainly feels like a team book, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know." It isn't somehow. It's like I did the same yeah. thing on Daredevil. You just start bringing in all the all the side characters are the most fun in some ways, because mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. on a book like Cap, you know, like everybody yeah. else can yeah. have more personality or more stuff happen to them. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a image really. I we have had really good success there. You know, I know our situation is a little bit different than everyone else. We've spent twenty years building up a huge readership fan base for our work where they follow us 
that was why early on, like we made our names really big on the cover, like as if they're part of the logo, because it's like, for me, I was always looking at book covers and it's like, you know, when you're successful as a novelist, like when you put out a book every year and your name is bigger than the (laughs) name of the book. You know, I've like seen Michael Stephen King novels. Yes. Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. like, what's the name yeah. of the book? Oh, it's down here in small print. Um, <laughs> so I always wanted, I knew that we were never going to have like a Walking Dead or something. or Like Criminal, we've come back to and we've got 10 collections <laughs> of Criminal, you know. But yeah. we were never going to just do one book forever because I think both of us would get really bored by it after, sure. you know, 20, 24 issues is the longest we've ever gone on anything. And mm-hmm. And, um, so I knew that we needed to be the brand. And so that was always like, put our names really big on the cover. So our readership knows like, Oh, that's the new Brubaker and Phillips thing. And, you know, now it's to the point where like the stores that are our our big stores are ordering our, you know, $25 graphic novels as if it's the first issue of a comic, you know, they'll order hundreds of them on the day of on release day. And, Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's the first time that's ever happened in comics for the comic market. Like, yeah, I think I feel like that was like a real breakthrough for us and it made it like a viable thing for us to do. And image just really had our back there. Um, I'm big on loyalty, you know, like mm-hmm. I want, I want publishers that are really good at their job, but I feel like image right now, especially like has moved to lunar and Simon and Schuster for the book market. And, Mm-hmm. You know, that was, that was my, one of my big things was like wanting to have better book market distribution, uh, because I right. didn't feel like diamond was doing a very good job on that. And that most of our book market sales were coming through Amazon, you know, and mm-hmm. for okay. online yeah. and, and, you know, so now, cause I feel like the books that Sean and I do are so like those books you could just give to anyone. Like they're, if you, if you're a totally. comic fan and you buy it at the comic store, like it's great for you, but you could also buy a reckless book and give it to your dad for Christmas. If he doesn't like comics, (laughs) he spent 40 years telling you what a waste of time that it is that you read comics. (laughs) You know, like, like there's something I, I realized early on one of my first things that was kind of a big deal in comics was scene of the crime. That book me and Michael Lark did at vertigo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And so I was like trying to get to, crime graphic novels like from the beginning it just took a long time before we built up enough of an audience to mm-hmm. to make it not like a financial disaster um <laughs> right. but, but i remember meeting a bunch of people my first like you know comic-con after scene of the crime came out in trade paperback and all these people asked me to sign it for their stepfather or for their grandfather oh, wow. Like, right. He hates, right. he hates comics, but I'm going to give him this because he loves mystery novels. And, right. you know, and he can finally understand yeah. why I love comics. And so I hear all <laughs> that stuff a lot. And, you know, that and your Captain America death issue was the first comic I ever bought. I hear a lot, you know, <laughs> just like, wow. tell me how old <laughs> yeah. I am. That comic came out 20 years ago. At this point, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I just, I really, you know, I value my relationships there. Robert's, you know, a really good friend of mine, Eric Stevenson, the publisher is, is, you yeah. know, over like, is like, I have a relationship there where I can just call them directly and, you know, I don't have to, we turn in our books print ready. Basically they just have to do like a proof on the lettering and stuff. And, and like sure. Sean and I, wow. you know, Sean designs everything and, and, you know, we choose our paper stock and we just have complete control. And honestly, like the other companies that exist, like, I don't feel like 
like Dark Horse has changed their deal now, but a lot of the other companies that exist, like Image for a long time was the only company that you could actually own 100% of your material. You know, and Mm -hmm. um, like Boom keeps half the rights, you know, like Dark Horse for a long time kept half your rights and half your profits. And, you know, Image gives the creators the vast majority of the money they give them all the money on the single issues, except for like a publishing, you know, for like production fee uh, and mm-hmm. they cover the printing. And so like we print these books that are these gorgeous hardback books. I get to pick everything about yeah. the paper products and, you know, I, I'm, I'm such about the object. And so image gives us yeah. all this control and, you know, they have the best deal in comics for creators and, you know, it, but nothing in publishing is ever going to be easy. Like it, sure. it, making a living as a writer for the history of humanity has never been a thing that your parents would ever be happy you wanted to do. You know, like it's always going to yeah. be a really risky thing. It's, I mean, yeah. in this world right now, there's probably a hundred rich writers, a thousand mm-hmm. more, two thousand more that make kind of a living, and then about. 400 million that like wish they could write, you know, or want to write. <laughs> sure. like yeah. all the yeah. people yeah. who buy books, like, but it's, it's like, it's a really difficult field to, to make a living in. And so, uh, I think a lot of people come into working with these publishers and expect a lot more from them. And, you know, I've been in the business mm-hmm. since like the nineties. And so mm-hmm. I know going in, it's like, oh, I'm going to need to, you know, do do a lot of things myself. Like when we, we were doing criminal, I actually, uh, between various friends cobbled together like a mailing list of comic book stores before we were putting out the first issue. And we printed right. up posters right. at home. Like my wife bought like a laser printer so we could make our own posters for criminal. And I, <laughs> I, we, I wrote a letter to retailers and I signed it. Every single copy was like hand signed. And we wow. sent this stuff to retailers, like to hundreds of retailers around the country. We had like a big party of envelope stuffing party with me and like five friends. It was like the zine days or something. And this was right, like, right, right, right. Was like 2004. And I would mail this stuff every time we were putting out a new one. I would mail, I would do a big mailer like that to, to retailers. Um, you know, and now, we do like we still work really closely with retailers to try to make it easier for them to sell our books by you know first giving them a book that's actually worth selling like mm-hmm. you know like a product that actually looks good on your shelf that's worth the cover price totally. and you know hopefully books that create fans that want to buy our other books but we also like we do signed book plates like any store that orders beyond a certain amount of copies can get yeah. signed book plates for, you know, and that's to encourage them to like not order just the amount they're going to sell that week and reorder. You know, it's to encourage right. them right. to order it like it's a first issue, you know, mm-hmm. and but, you know, but then we spend a week like signing book plates because we sign like 8000 of these things. <laughs> It's insane, the amount of stores that want that. But those stores are ordering 200 copies of the book. So, you know, we're in a we're in a pretty unique position in comics to the point where people who I I think of as being more successful than us in comics are constantly telling us how jealous they are of the position we're in. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> the grass like, is always greener it's I was always like, greener. i right? guess we just don't yeah i don't have to spend you know 50 percent of my time trying to chase down you know artists for 12 variant covers 
you know, which is, <laughs> yeah. we just, I hate but, stuff but like think that. of the money if you could do that, you know, I mean, really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's please the, don't do that. one of the things please we don't love do about doing the graphic novels is Sean can just draw the book and doesn't have to stop every month and come up with a cover idea or draw yeah, you know, right. a cover. And it's like just twice a year, we have to design a book and, and he has to do a cover for it. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, wait till you guys see the yeah. cover for our next book. Um, okay, wait, I'll show it to you. Oh, <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> We're going to blur this. Don't worry, folks. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hold on. It's really good. Of course. Right. It's Sean. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, you can't really see it because of the glare. My goodness. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like, right. I like what you were talking about before uh, with the big names. That's very yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. We're very much about like just trying to design something that's just going to really pop off the shelf now. Like yeah. my, I met a guy from sure. from Amazon Book Publishing years ago who said the most important thing is how how does your cover look at at three inches tall? Yeah, yeah. He was saying that because he was thinking about the Kindle app where he was just like, "What's it going to look like when it gets minimized down here?" But you are or on the website, you know, on the website they're an inch and a half tall. So yeah. But, um, but yeah, I just really love my relationship with the people at Image and, you know, I'll, probably half the people that I work with on a, on a regular basis there have been there the whole time I've been there. And, you know, there's some turnover nice. here and there That's and awesome. like the publishing side now and then we have a new publisher uh, that just came over from uh, Oni, I think, or somebody. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, so there's, there's, there's every now and then I have to meet someone new there, but there's a lot of, you know, I mainly talk to Robert and Eric and, you know, and we get to do whatever we want. Like, I don't think right. any other publisher yeah. in the world would just not ask us what our next book is about. Even, I mean, <laughs> for all image knows that cover, I just showed you that book could just be nothing but erect penises with word balloons. <laughs> it isn't <laughs> okay good okay listen i read sex criminals what are you talking you- that sells <laughs> yeah. yeah sorry i'm not really trying to sell it um but but yeah it's, uh, we get i realized when i did um the last of the innocent which was a book that when i told my friends about it i thought this is an idea I have that I really want to do, but I don't think I should do it because I don't think anyone will like it besides me. <laughs> and all my friends were like, no, you should do that. And then I did yeah. it. Yeah. And, um, and it, you know, it, it was, it got an incredible, I mean, we won the Eisner award for best miniseries <laughs> and got tons of acclaim. You know, the guy who created Riverdale uh, used to give that book to all the writers of Riverdale when he would hire them. He would give them a copy of Last of the Innocent. Whoa. As like, yeah, it it was definitely part of the inspiration for, you know, how he figured out how to how to make that show work. And uh, yeah, there was (laughs) I I always used to we we would email back and forth. And and, uh, at one point he actually asked me if I could come work on the show, like when they were first in the early days of it. Um, but i was working on another show at the same time um but but you know that book had a huge impact and it i feel like in some Mm -hmm. ways it changed our career and um i had always wanted to do the book that became the fade out but how do you pitch you know that book and i remember being at the image expo when we announced that book and i was we i got up after like 10 different people had announced their sci-fi book and i'm like (laughs) oh here's this weird story about you know a murder in 1948 hollywood and that was the <laughs> biggest hit we ever had up till that point yeah. so, oh, so i was like 
I and I only did that book because I didn't have to try to pitch it. I I called Eric up and I just thought, you know what? I'm getting in my own way by worrying about whether an idea is going to be commercial because yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're to the point where we have a big enough audience now where at least the least commercial thing we'll, we do will still hit like X, X floor, you know, that sure. will, mm-hmm. that, that will be enough money to pay, you know, the artists at least, if not, you know, if not a huge success, um, right. that, you know, the worst we could do would still be worth just letting us do whatever we want. And they were like more than enthusiastic to just give us free hand and just let us set our own schedules and, you know, and so, yeah, nobody else in comics has ever just asked for that until that point. Like, just give me a deal where you pay me and Sean to do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> everything is greenlit. It's like, it's the opposite. I think part of it was that I was trying, I was starting to work in Hollywood and really just didn't want to have to pitch any, any ideas or worry about something being commercial because I knew I would, you know, when I had to work on or worry about pitches, I would end up working weeks on thing. And then I was just about to like send it in and I'd look at it and I'm like, Oh, I'm trying to be Neil Gaiman here. Cause I want it to be a bigger hit than the last thing yeah, yeah. instead of trying to really write what I want to write. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and I found that when you just follow that and write what you want to write, it ends up being, you know, the thing that really connects with people and, you know, yeah. and we do stuff that is sort of similar, but different every time too. So it's like our fan base mm-hmm always you know i mean some one of our books is always someone's favorite and one of our books is always someone's like ah this one didn't hit as much for me you know (laughs) and it's funny to me because it's like sometimes that's the one where i'm like oh really that one's our best book it's crazy but you like the other one that i that i don't think is quite as good like so but you know it's it's like those people who really loved my x-men run you just you know you can't (laughs) control how people are going to react to your work once you release it that's the thing it's like Yeah. yeah You know, yeah. like, uh, and, and accepting that too, uh, like is, is a huge part of being able to survive as a writer or an artist is sure. understand it. Once you send a thing out into the world, you cannot try to micromanage how people respond to it and you shouldn't. Right. And you should yeah. also not have too much of your self-esteem tied up in other people's responses to it because <laughs> in, especially in the world of social media <laughs> don't oh, look yeah. at the comments yeah. means, it means right. it really means it it's like um, you know. i mean you're smart by not being on social media i guess in that For regards sure. right like yeah. i mean yeah. that was really the situation of just you know, I, I stayed on it for probably two years longer than than it deserved my time. But <laughs> there, I didn't like it at first. I was like, I would look at Twitter. And I was like, this seems like a huge waste of time. Why are people I don't why do I want the random thoughts of, you know, a bunch of people? And then, you know, mm-hmm. of course, I spent eight years, you know, looking at it every day <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and, but I spent like at least the last couple of years was just people screaming at each other. And it was like, and then, and, mm-hmm. or if you were at all of any renowned or had like a, a big follower count, like I had like 90,000 followers or something like you would just, if you looked at your replies, if there was anything going on in the world, people were demanding that you make a statement about it. And I'm like, I'm a comic book writer. Like I have opinions on <laughs> yeah, things, right. but, but I don't believe me saying an opinion on Twitter about anything in the world is actually going to affect anybody other than maybe right. make them hate yeah. me. You know, exactly. <laughs> like, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or think that I'm some overprivileged Hollywood liberal or, you know, whatever. So it's right. like, 
yeah. all of that stuff, that slacktivism, I feel like the whole, the whole like social media just turned into people yelling at each other about politics and global warming and all the stuff that I actually <laughs> care about and have opinions about. But, you know, I, I liked it when we were all just making fart jokes and yelling at each other about, <laughs> about like, you know, TV shows and comics and, you know, right. It just mm-hmm. became ugly, but we were all addicted to being there, and you know. But right. it seems like it's but, all just, you know, going up in a bonfire right now. Thank God. Yeah, it'll be. I, I, I would have thought. That's... I would have thought the Tesla wall was going to be the best thing Elon Musk ever did to the world, but it turns out <laughs> spending way too much on Twitter and then destroying it will be the best thing he did by mm-hmm. accident. Legacy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it, it does seem though like a lot of that. I feel like good energy that came from some parts of social media has migrated over to like newsletters, right? Like I follow your newsletter, which is really fun. I follow like Chip Zdarsky and Kelly Thompson and a couple of other people. Um, I guess the question I was going to ask you is like, are there like, have you moved your like energy over to places like newsletters to get that in, that same feeling? From I, people? Yeah, I started a newsletter like four years ago, but I only put it out every month or two because it's just too hard to to do it. Like that was the, one of the main pace. reasons I didn't take a Substack deal was just the idea of trying to put out a newsletter three times a week just seemed like way too much to add to my writing week. Um, sure. And, you know, like I noticed after the Substack grants ran out, a lot of them stopped putting out newsletters quite as often, you know, where yeah. now that's more like once a week or something. And um, that's, you know, survivable, I think. But yeah, I just, like, I like going on there. Like, I, I published, like, a big essay about why I hate AI, um, you know, mm-hmm. a couple months ago and that that people pasted around. And, you know, I'll, I'll answer questions from readers and do previews of our stuff. But it's pretty much a one-way, you know, like, there's an email people can write to me about. And, like, but more people read my newsletter. I have, like, 10,000 subscribers to the newsletter. And more people read mm-hmm. my newsletter every time than ever read a thing that I said on Twitter and I had yeah, times exactly. as many followers. So yeah. mm-hmm. like, it feels like a much better uh, system for actually reaching the people that, that really care about what you're doing. And, um, you know, and it's nice to have a place to say things when you actually have something to say that you've thought out. I feel right. like, uh, I knew going in, I knew Twitter was going to turn into something really ugly when people on the news started talking, saying things like, and people on Twitter are saying, and then you look up the person on Twitter <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Thing, and you're like, oh, this guy with six followers on Twitter said, it was like, you know, I don't want to argue in favor of gatekeepers, but I will say that one thing about <laughs> gatekeepers was that they kept all the fucking crazy psychos from like finding each other so easily. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Sure. When, when you were when you were like a crazy bomb throwing white supremacist in the eighties, like it was much it was much harder for you to find people like that, or yeah. or any kind of crazy you know person mm-hmm. uh, about anything you know uh, like QAnon could not have existed before inter, you know social media exactly. Right? or right. the internet. So like, there's a lot of, you know, and not like people, I, I used to be a subscriber to a magazine called paranoia when the nineties, mm-hmm. that was like the sort of fun version of stuff like that. Sure. <laughs> sure. So it wasn't like there weren't wacko people out there and that, that published stuff. It was just, you know, those of us who were amused by it didn't actually believe it. <laughs> right. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But that's that's cool. I mean, I was gonna ask if there was if there's any newsletters or anything that you subscribe to. I know, like, if you're you're sending oh, out yeah. and stuff, I don't know if there's any folks that you're paying attention to. Yeah, I, um, in that realm. I uh, yeah, I've subscribed to like Kieran's and Chips and mm-hmm. Matt and Kelly mm-hmm. Sue's, and I, I probably subscribe to way too many. I have Tynan's. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh God, I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, the Cur- the Hickman one. Scotty's. Yeah, I have like ten or fifteen of these things that I'm subscribed to. It's so many now. They're right. like <laughs> right. almost like too many. But um, but yeah, what are you gonna do? Cancel your subscription for your friend's newsletter? Don't know. They'll know. You never know. It's all good content and you're reading every single one, right? Yeah, Tynan's <laughs> newsletter is, is always like good and informative and so long that i always wonder how the hell he had time to actually do that because I, I feel like yeah. his letters are about forty thousand words sometimes mm-hmm. oh yeah and wow. the brian vaughn one which i you know have fallen a few weeks behind and i'm like how much longer is this going to be can i just buy the book <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i've read 500 pages already <laughs> yeah yeah see but, but then um, you're gonna have another big 500 page book that you can hold up next time yeah, you're on a exactly. video podcast yeah. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, that's um, cool. I, I, go ahead, Paul. I, I had a, a a question about um, you know, you and Sean have been working together for so long. At this point, you're just reading each other's minds. I mean, I, I mean, how much do you have to put in the script? Does he just know exactly what you need or what the book um, needs every time you do that? No, I mean, we. I still. I mean, yes, I I put much less description into stuff for Sean when I'm when I'm writing yeah. for him than when I'm you know very rarely writing for another artist these days, but. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's not that dramatically different than, you know, 20 okay. years ago or, you know, we've been working together since 1999. Like I started working with Sean the same month I started dating my wife and they're, they're the two okay. longest <laughs> relationships of my life. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's, it's really, um, it's more that like, I understand what I, I, I know basically what I'm going to get, but there's always something that's a little bit surprising in it too. Sure. And, and, you know, so I'll tell him stuff like this guy's more in the foreground and partly cut off by the panel borders as he's doing this or that. And then I'm always surprised by how okay. he decides to do these things. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's really the trust of just knowing that I've got like one of the best artists and storytellers in comics Absolutely. and he only works with me. You know, so we're really, <laughs> we're really a team and I can send him the script, yeah. you know, like a chapter or two at a time. And, you know, and he's incredibly fast uh, as an artist. I mean, yeah. we do two graphic novels a year. We used to do monthly comics, you know, that in our, we would do 28 to 32 pages usually in our single issues. Yeah. How do you, I, how do you tell a whole, a whole chapter in 20 pages of a, right. in a single issue? It's impossible. Th- it's like see, that was the things. thing that's... <laughs> It like blew me away when you guys were dropping like a new graphic novel like every three to four months. I was like, these guys must just have a backlog. But you're saying this is Sean just working extremely well, we did, fast. No, we had a little bit of lead time when we first started Reckless because of the okay. pandemic. Okay. There was like this yeah, three right. month shutdown. So like by the time Reckless was announced, Sean was probably eighty pages into drawing the first one. So uh, okay. I mean, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like it was not hard to get the first three out in the course of 10 months, I think we published three, like, <laughs> exactly. And if you really, if you yeah. look back, it's like three months, like six months before reckless came out, pulp came out. 
yeah. which right. you know was like a huge <laughs> you know but but pulp's success sort of cemented that this reckless thing might actually work because pulp sold out in like three weeks or something and wow. we yeah. thought we'd printed yeah. enough to last two years and it was like oh shit <laughs> okay well maybe we can actually do this and you know and then we never went back because it was like okay let's just do graphic novels from now on and, yeah. you know, and now we're you know like we just uh the where the body was like the book plates like we got the highest orders for like the signed book plates ever so we had like actually underestimated wow. demand because oh, i have to sign a bunch more of them next week and and get them back to the lunar um but yeah it's okay. uh it's done really well for us and you know i understand that a lot of you know, as always in comics, there's a lot of people that are, you know, not doing as well as us. I feel really lucky. But I, when people ask me, like, like, how do you guys do what you do? I just think, well, we just don't waste a lot of time. We just sit down and make comics. Like, I write scripts and I send them to Sean and he draws them. Like, that's pretty much it. We just, <laughs> that easy? We just put our heads down 25 years ago and started doing that like, right. consistently. I, and, and we also, I mean, I guess we never have been so successful that we got full of ourselves and, or rested on our laurels for us. Every, mm -hmm. every new project is like, is this the one that's going to finally be like a breakthrough? And then you look back and you're like, well, we have 20 years of, you know, books that are still selling. And you're like, oh, that's the breakthrough yeah. is that we actually yeah. just get to keep doing this. When I, whenever I freak out about, you know, when you hear people complaining about, you know how things are going in the direct market or that single issues are not doing as well anymore and all this stuff the big fear i have is that i just want to be able to make comics with sean forever you know for until i until mm -hmm. we, one yeah. of us dies you know so like i just want to you know hopefully at the table um but, <laughs> but, uh, you know but like literally like i just want to i just i like the the goal that i thought when we first started out uh, was like, Oh, we'll do some stuff and, and it'll be like a huge hit and we'll get movies and TV shows. And it's like, it's great if all that stuff happens, but the actual joy of the work is that I write these things and then Sean sends me pages. And if I, there was like a month between when we finished where the body was and when Sean started drawing the, the next book that's coming out houses of the unholy. Um, and he, um, that month I was so depressed because I wasn't getting artwork. Like I just realized <laughs> oh, yeah. it's such a big part of my life to just get pages in the, in the, in the mail, like, or in the email, like a couple times a week of like, Oh, here's like, I'll check my email and Oh, here's four brand new inked and lettered pages from Sean, you know? And it's like, and I show them to like three friends always. And, you know, it's like, it's just part of my life. And I realized like, that's the part of my life that keeps me sane is being yeah, able probably. that and you know and my wife like they're just things that keep me sane and productive and able to to be an artist and you know so that's all i think about is like okay well if you know if if comics is struggling like how are we going to get through and then I, and then you know and then we end up being like one of the cases where you know we're we're something that stores know that they can sell at this point yeah. mm -hmm. so we're, right. we're not you know we're just trying to get to the stores that haven't started carrying our stuff yet, you know, and try to explain to them that, you know, Hey, <laughs> we're pretty good at this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's 40 bucks. But, uh, yeah. So, um, 
I don't know. Does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it does. No, yeah. no, I, th- I think yeah, yeah. so. Honestly, yeah. I think that that is a beautiful way to wrap up the show. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, Paul, I don't know if you had any last last thoughts or anything uh, I just, before we wrap here. I just want to, I had to get this off my chest. So like, I read comics as a kid growing up, read comics as a teenager. After high school, uh, when I graduated in 2000, I kind of stopped reading comics. But I started going back to the stores around 2008, went to a comic shop and criminal is one of the first books that kind of like got its hooks in me again and made me read comics regularly again. So it feels oh, wow. like it's kind of coming, coming full circle for me. Cause that led to me being on this podcast. So being able to talk to you and thank you for that. Just want oh, to say great. that. So thanks for oh. all the work, man. I appreciate oh, it. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. That's, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. You know, when, uh, when I, when we announced criminal that summer that, that was going to come out in the fall, we had mm-hmm. that teaser thing that, sh- that we had made, which was like the first time, that I was like, I'm so sick of people announcing comics and just showing you the first three pages. I'm like, let's make a movie trailer. And that was like yeah, the first yeah. thing we did. I wrote that before I wrote the comic and Sean drew it before he drew. And wow. I got that printed up uh, like as like a little like eight page uh, giveaway and, and had thousands and thousands of them. And I would just go to the Marvel booth whenever anybody big was signing when no one knew who I was really. Actually, I don't know. I had just killed, I had just brought Bucky back and I had bought a shirt off the internet that said, uh, rule number one, Bucky stays dead. And so I was wearing that <laughs> at the Marvel, at the Marvel um, booth and Stan Lee was doing a signing. So there was like a thousand people and wow. I just walked down the no line, way. just like giving it to people. And it was funny because people would look at my shirt and then they'd look at the thing and like, oh yeah, this looks cool. And so it was just like, I, that's how I was like, you know, trying to market it though. And then mm-hmm. I remember I was supposed to go meet Stan Lee and, uh, and his bodyguard wouldn't let me go into the back room and, I, and, he, and, he, and he, he like crossed his arm and I'm like, no, I work at Marvel. He's like, I don't care. You're not going back there. And I, and I was like, damn. And then he looked at my shirt and he's like, rule number one, Bucky stays dead. Well, you don't like Brubaker's run? And I'm like, I'm Brubaker. Oh, and he's like, well, oh, cool. Nice to meet you, man. And I'm like, well, can I go meet Stan? And he's like, no. <laughs> Oh my god! But uh, yeah, that really, you know, like criminal. It's funny when you were talking about Birds of Prey, and you mentioned being a huge Love and Rockets fan because you know Mm -hmm. I was like the I was the first like huge Love and Rockets fanboy when I was like fifteen. I used to just be like their little tag along at Comic Cons. Like I met Jaime Hernandez like when he was doing like a signing, and nobody cared, and you know. I just always yeah. love their stuff, but it's funny because having been around comic stores and worked in comic stores growing up, I knew that like people in alt comics really look down on mainstream comics and they don't understand mm-hmm. that the same people buy all the same stuff. Just like, yeah, I like, you know, American horror story and the Sopranos. I can like stuff that I, it's like you can like things on different levels for different reasons. I like Tolkien, but I also like Raymond Chandler, you know? (laughs) Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because I have so many friends from indie comics who are such snobs about stuff. And I'm just like, you don't even realize the people you're selling these books to don't just buy mouse in your book. You know, exactly. You know, it's like the people who go to the fast and furious also go to like a David Fincher movie, you know, like exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's just funny. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a huge fast and furious fan, but you know, 
I mean, they are what they are. I'm clipping that. Like, clipping that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we got him, everybody. Uh, no, that's that's <laughs> the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, yeah, I, Paul, I appreciate you saying that. Um, mm-hmm. I and I've got a whole shelf of just your books over here. Like, big, huge fan. I, you said something earlier about like you guys basically at this point have books that you can hand out to people, uh, and that's pretty much what I do with a lot of your books. So I want to say oh, nice. thank you for like reintroducing like crime comics into like the mainstream, or at least the mainstream for comic book fans, yeah. because it's mm-hmm. it's such a such a breath of fresh air when like everything's superhero, everything's you know. We said I auto bio books, they're great, but like yeah, your books really are like a breath of fresh air every time you get you and Sean drop one. So thank you yeah. for continuing to make books because oh, they're nice. they're just the light of of comics sometimes. Well, for I'm glad so. that you guys liked the new one because that was one where I finished it and I was like, man, this is so different than anything we've ever done that I wonder mm-hmm. if our readers will actually like it. I, was like, <laughs> I think that's I'm why so, I like it. I think yeah. James Tynan yeah. was the first person to read it actually because I sent it to him a little bit like. I'm not going to say anything. Just read this. <laughs> you know? And he wrote back and, and just yeah. loved it. And I was like, oh, thank God. But yeah, it's, like, yeah. <laughs> it's been so much. That's the one thing about not publishing things like as you're doing them, like through mm-hmm. single issues is like you get about 90 pages into a book and you're like, wait, did I make a wrong decision 20 pages ago and I didn't realize it? Or can I pull this off? Or sure. And uh, yeah, you get so deep in it that like you have to get it, the finished edited version and get it to like, five or 10 people you trust before you're like, okay, yeah. I didn't it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you ever need proof readers, just let me know. Yeah. I'm happy you, you got my email. Um, but no, this, this one was great. And I, but I think like Paul said, uh, you know, the the variety of like some of the stories here like i could read reckless for forever but it is nice to get like a night fever and now we've yeah. got this yeah. where the body was you know i i appreciate the you know the changing up of, of things a little bit even if it all is still kind of revolved around murder and, yeah. and mystery and stuff <laughs> right. yeah uh, it's the, still it's still very good so. yeah the next book that comes out next summer is is really weird like sort of uh satanic panic related a little bit okay um, we we didn't get to it i was going to ask about occult stuff but yeah after that one i think like the plan right now is is i've got like an outline for a an, an original criminal graphic novel like a brand new one which nice. with a brand new okay. with a brand new main character for the first time in like 10 years so um okay. yeah i'm kind okay. of psyched about that and uh that i finally had like one where i was like oh yeah we haven't done one of these yet and uh <laughs> Well, like a, a noir genre we haven't yet completely tackled <laughs> well alright before you start to spoil everything yeah. you've got planned for the next 10 yeah. years yeah. Um, I'm going to wrap up our all show right. here and say thank you again Ed this, sure. is, this has been a blast um, next week's show as I said at the uh, top of the or at the beginning of the show we're going to be live on, on Twitch you can f- hang out with me and Brian and Danny to talk about things um, as always you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TikTok Discord we got all of our good stuff show notes or in the show notes um, you can support us on Patreon at Patreon patreon.com slash ircb podcast to get access to hundreds of uh, patreon only podcast series like a better batmobile uh giant days of our lives saga of saga where we cover all sorts of different comic series um plus we've got some weird x-men blind box shows that i keep doing whenever we don't know what to do Uh, we just recently (laughs) talked about x-men deadly genesis (laughs) so um that was really fun um but infinity shred is the best band of the universe they do all of our music xander traveled through the center of a black hole and survived he keeps doing that because i keep forgetting to update the show credits i want to say thank you to paul and danny and kate for working with us on this episode thank you again ed for coming and talking comics with us this was such a blast and until next time comics are good and so are you (laughs) 